In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Let's face it. You all know it. You are consumed with seeing everything. It all started many years ago, decades ago, with the television. And now for us, even today, everything has to be visualized. You go out to eat with your family at a restaurant, screens everywhere. You go home, everybody's probably got a screen either on the wall or in their hands. You go to the library now, there are screens talking about various books that are out and about. We have screens in our cars. You can watch YouTube while you're driving. That's real safe, I suppose. Screens as you sit in the dentist chair. Stuff visually plastered in front of your eyes 24-7. One of my favorite bands from the 80s on today called U2 is playing a whole set of concerts in Las Vegas. They're playing all of their concerts in a place called The Sphere. If you look it up on YouTube, it's amazing. It is this absolute amazing visual display of all sorts of things. They even have it on the outside of the building as well. And yet, you go to a concert to hear your favorite band. And what I find amazing is, is that in these concerts that you can see, everybody's sitting there with their screens, videotaping what they're seeing on the screen. And yet the four guys are down there rocking away and nobody is paying attention to what they're doing. Recently I watched a documentary in Australia on YouTube. And the documentary was all about screens and technology. And this documentary went in and talked to a family of four, two parents with two young boys. And they were documenting about screens at the breakfast table, screens as soon as they come home, screens in the school, technology immersing them. The one kid even wanted to go brush his teeth with his screen, and it was an act of Congress to get the kid not to take the screen. So they did an experiment, and they took all of the screens away from the family for one week. The documentary crew locked them up in a box with a combination and set them in the house. And it was amazing to see within the first 24 hours raging anger and fighting amongst these parents and these kids. Blowing up tempers, screaming and yelling at each other and the family said, like we have never fought before. But the next day, things got better. And the next day after that, things got even more better. The kids started to laugh. The kids started to play with one another. They played board games as a family. They took walks. They were even documented as picking up a book. Remember books? <laughs> they even found themselves listening to each other at the dinner table. The one, though, that benefited the most from all of this was the family dog, Jack. Jack started to get walks. Jack started getting tons and tons of love. But after that week, the screens came back and they went back to normal. 
Why am I getting at all of this today? Well, today is transfiguration, and you have this visual idea of Peter, James, and John seeing Moses and Elijah with the bright array of God, the cloud, the Jesus shining with his face. And we kind of think about, wouldn't it be nice to see that? We might even say, if I actually saw that, I might actually believe it. But in the midst of all of this vision that they have, in the midst of everything that they're seeing... The glory of the Lord speaks. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's nice. But simply listening to Jesus doesn't seem to really cut it with Christianity today. At my church in Charlotte, I was able to catechize a lot of people, a lot of young families with young kids that were coming out of the big box churches, the non-denominational churches. And I'll never forget one young family that had about six kids talk to us in Bible class one day about the fact that this is the only place that I go to during the week that doesn't have a screen. I look at multiple screens at work. We look at screens at home. This is the one place that I've noticed that doesn't use a screen. And they would go on to talk about the fact that their previous churches were all about screens and the visual aspect, about experiencing God through music and visual aids and everything else. And they said most of the time we were just sitting there looking and hearing what people were singing but not participating. They said the beauty about the Lutheran liturgy is is the fact that if the congregation doesn't participate, the service is dead. They talk about the fact that it is all about listening listening to the word of God. What we see today is a result of not wanting to listen. We have to see things in order to believe. It's not enough to hear, as Chaplain Found said twice, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Give us something that we can latch on to. Give us something that we can comprehend with our own two eyes and believe so that we may believe firmer. And know that God is with us. But think about it this way too. You're all educated. You've either gone through school or you're going through school right now. And how is it that you are educated? Well, some are with screens today. But everything that you learn from science to English to history is all about things being spoken to you. You believe amazing things like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington without ever seeing them face to face. You believe in things like the moon landing with seeing it on TV, but yet you hear about these things as well. It would be great if I could sit here today and say, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, and he could come in here and wow you, but I can't. And this is the thing. Once the lights go out, once the rush of emotions goes away, once your screen is shut off before you go to bed or I go to bed, the pain settles back in. The frustrations surmount and we go back to being so centered on ourselves. When we visualize and focus on visualizing everything, We desire not only to see the glory of God, but we also begin to realize that when we can't see this, things don't make sense. 
We can look at a screen, but we still cannot explain all the craziness of life that you face, the frustrations, the fact that it seems like nobody is listening to you. That's why you're here today, hopefully. That's why, yes, we visually see things, and starting next Sunday... We're going to have a Bible class on the entire service, the liturgy, and we're going to explain not only what you hear and sing, but yes, what you see, everything has a purpose. It's nice to visualize the transfiguration, but you have to go deeper on the Mount of Transfiguration. There are five guys there, Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And we like to think about Moses and Elijah as being these super pious men who got it all right. I mean, after all, they're mentioned in the scriptures. But the reality is, is these men were just as flawed as you or me. Moses committed murder. Remember that? Yet God restored him. He made him the ambassador to lead the people out of Egypt, out of their slavery, through the waters of the Red Sea on dry ground, through death into life. But later on in the wilderness, Moses got very angry. Angry with the people. Angry and upset with God. It would overcome him so much that God said, you are not allowed into the promised land. You can see it. But the whole generation who got wiped out, and you as well, can't enter in. Moses died angry, tired, and afraid. Then there's Elijah. Elijah, he also ran and hid. He defeated 400 frost prophets from Baal, but then afraid, he ran from Jezebel. He was full of self-pity and wallowing in self-righteousness. He left and said to God, I'm the only one that's left. Please let me just stay with you. But he was restored, fed during the drought and the famine, renewed in strength, and even delivered from bodily death a young boy. And yet he ascended in a chariot into heaven, but he lived a life of sorrows, disappointments, and frustration. Anybody relate? Then there's Peter. Peter was the great disciple. He didn't want to see Jesus die. Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be crucified at the hands of the chief priests and Pharisees. He's going to be buried and rise again. And Peter says, no way. Absolutely not. And Jesus turns around and calls him the devil himself. Peter is the one that looks to Jesus and says, look, we have left everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of this? He's the one that would deny Jesus that evening, of good, that, that evening leading into Good Friday, and he would deny Jesus three times to a teenage girl. Even the last time, cursing God that he does not know Jesus. And yet he was restored. Jesus at the end of John's gospel restores Peter. Peter would go on and say that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He would preach the atonement for all people to talk about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he calls you brother. 
and that there is no other God by whom people are saved, and he's coming back, and he eventually was put to death. But before he died, Peter wrote words for you to listen to. He talks about the transfiguration in our epistle. We saw his glory. We were with him on the holy mountain. We saw the majestic glory, but you have something more sure. The prophetic word of God, which you would do well to pay attention to. Well, how do you pay attention? You listen. You listen. The prophetic word spoken by Moses and Elijah and Jesus as he was made, the, the word made flesh, dwelling and speaking with people. The prophetic word which Peter preached is yours today. This is why the Father says to these disciples, listen to Jesus. The glory, the majesty of God is in your midst, but it's hidden. It's hidden through infallible men sitting up here reading these scriptures. It's hidden in the waters and in the bread of wine attached to God's word. It's hidden so that you may not see, but hear and believe. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his word. Receive what God desires for you this day. For this word brings about faith. Faith that comforts you in the midst of suffering, shame, and loss. It tells you that Christ died for you, rose for you, and he is truly present for you, just as you heard last week. And you're going to hear next week, and so forth. Why? Go back to that family who went away from their screens. We are bombarded by so many things to take you away from God, but even more so that takes you away from each other. And I'm right there with you. We live in this day and age where we have everything before our eyes and at our fingertips, and yet we don't always realize or know what's going on around us, or who's speaking to us. Pay attention! Yeah, a couple of you stood up. That's what God is saying to you today. I am speaking in your midst. He's not transfigured before you today, but he is here. And so it is that we hold on to these things by faith. I've had the privilege of serving now in four different churches, and I think one of the few sets of people that I find the most amazing to serve are those people who are blind. They can't see. In Milwaukee, we had a lovely older lady who walked in with her seeing eye dog, and Rosie was her name, and she would always walk out after the service, and she would tell me some little snippet that she heard from the readings today. And it got to the point where I literally said, Rosie, I need to speak with you before the Sunday service because when you hear these things, you draw stuff out of the scriptures that I never realized. Rosie couldn't read her devotions. 
She had braille, but she preferred to listen. That's what I would say with you in your devotional life. Sure, you can read, but the scriptures are not meant to be read like a scientific book or a history book. They're meant to be heard. And the last I checked, we have a lot of capability of hearing the scriptures, right? Just a few. Listen to them. Take five minutes a day. Ten minutes. Maybe do it on something like a CD and not your phone or your iPad or whatever else it is that you have. The other group of people I have found amazing to work with are those Christians who are suffering with dementia. Those people who are in the hospital in a coma. Because as I have been able to come in with those people and speak the word of God, the word of God cuts through all of the mess. I have seen people in comas mouthing the word of God by by saying the Lord's Prayer with me. Rachel Allen, who had a hard time toward the end of her life, recognizing Celeste, when I saw her right before Christmas, gave her communion, she went through the whole communion liturgy with me, speaking what she had heard all along. That's why we do these things. Not because we've always done them this way or because this is my preference, but because the word of God is central here. So listen. Listen now. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold my righteous hand for you. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is finished. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already seen? But if we hope for what we do not yet have or see, we wait for it patiently. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal life has put on immortality, then shall be brought past the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We rise.